0: Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I am your host, Alex Gruskin, coming back from an incredibly fun weekend at the Top Notch Wildcard Series in Indianapolis. We got to see so many great players, a lot of them college tennis players and obviously our champion this weekend. Felix Corwin is a former NCAA All-American, so it was a great event Getting back to the theme of college tennis, though, on this podcast, we are so happy to introduce today's guest. He is the men's tennis head coach of the defending NCAA tennis champions. You know, He's been an assistant in college tennis for so long. And I will add, he is a former all-conference player for the Western Illinois Fighting Leathernecks. Coach Tony Bresky welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Of course. So I'm going to start there. The Fighting Leathernecks, was that what drew you to the school?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was the uh, purple and gold. Couldn't resist it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it uh, it was a very
1: different time back then, the recruiting process.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. And I want to start there. Obviously, I do want to talk about your time and your steering of the Wake Forest ship. You guys are obviously coming off an incredible season. But just in case our listeners don't know about you, you again, played four years of college tennis at Western Illinois, had a bunch of success there on the team. Uh, You know, how did you get involved in the sport? And you know, how did you craft your love for the game?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I I was a late starter. I didn't start playing tennis. I I didn't play a tournament until I was 13. Um, I played which you know, soccer growing up, a bunch of different sports and didn't pick up tennis till, till, like I said, till I was 13. So fell in love with it, fell in love with it pretty quickly. Um, You know, I really enjoyed the um, individual aspect of it. I think, you know, as you can imagine, I'm pretty competitive. So, you know, playing competitive (laughs) soccer. Um, you know, we'd play a good game or bad game or whatever. I just felt like there wasn't enough, um, control say of the results. So, so yeah, started when I was 13 and then, um, you know, quickly fell in love with it. And then obviously had a great opportunity to play college tennis at Western Illinois.
0: Well, you mentioned earlier how the recruiting process was vastly different back then. I am curious though, you know, you've been an assistant coach or a head coach now for maybe 20 years how has your uh how did your time being recruited as a player maybe influence the way you approach recruiting
1: now yeah yeah i I don't know I, probably not much <laughs> to be honest it just, it was just so different you know it was, um there's no internet, no information out there, so essentially what you would do or at least what I did was i you know I wrote some schools. Um, that I was interested in my my criteria was pretty uh, pretty broad I wanted to stay Midwest East Coast um, a little bit of a bigger school in division one and that was that was essentially it you know I didn't I didn't know enough about it I didn't know the differences in division one schools mid-major schools smaller schools BCS schools I had no idea about that you know I just knew what a division one um, and kind of on on this half of the country so I wrote a bunch of coaches uh they would write you back and you know you kind of tell them about your ranking a little bit and send a send a recruiting video on vhs um and that, was and that was basically it you know and then they would try to call you there was no cell phones um at the time so they try to call you if they miss you you know they leave a message on your on your answering machine hopefully you had an answer machine at the time and and then you try to call them and hopefully you get a hold of each other so you know sometimes it was just more a who was more persistent to call each other kind of deal. So um, I'm- I do want to say, Coach, you know, you say
0: no internet, no cell phone, VHS instead of the DVDs. You sound like the millennial, but I'm the one born in 95.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it, it's pretty funny to think about how it, uh, how it all took place. And, you know, so I, I guess probably a little luck in the process too, you know, who gets a hold of each other on the phone. Um, You know, if you hit it off and, you know, how quickly a coach is kind of willing to make you an offer and work things out admissions-wise, financially, um, that whole kind of deal. So I think uh, very different to to nowadays. So I would say my recruiting process probably did not play much of a role in the way I do things now. (laughs) Well, maybe that's a good thing. Um, But just, you know, getting back
0: to – uh, your start in college tennis, you obviously played four years, uh, but then you you did graduate with a degree in finance, I believe, or went back and got your master's and took a year to, uh, you know, outside of tennis, you stopped playing, stopped coaching. You know, why is it that you did that? And then, you know, what was it that drew you back to the sport?
1: Yeah, honestly, probably one of the best things I ever did for my career, I think. You know, I got went to Western Illinois, got an, uh, got an undergrad in accounting. Um, you know, senior year studying for the CPA, walked out of it. I said, "No chance, I can do this." So, <laughs> so that was a quick reality check. You know, you kind of get your degree, and you're like, "Well, I'm not going to use this." So I had to decide what I was going to do. Um, and I was lucky enough. My last year, we played Indiana State, um, and I played their number one guy a couple times that year. And and they had a guy on their team. Uh, that I was friends with from back home and um, so he kind of put me in touch with uh, Coach Poland, Brian who, you know, seemed to to like my game apparently or like me and so he offered me the uh, grad assistant job at Indiana State, you know, young guy at the time didn't know what I wanted to do, I wanted to try to play some pro, I played a few tournaments, um, not much success you know, certainly wasn't going to make a lot of money so um, quickly figured out I was going to go back and get my master's, which I which I decided to do at Indiana State, got an MBA there, and that's when I first started coaching. Never, ever, ever thought about coaching as a career, um, you know, just wasn't something I had ever thought about, um, but I fell in love with it right away. Um, obviously, at the time of my graduation there, I had an undergrad in accounting, a master's in business, so felt like, uh felt like the business world was calling, and I should give that a shot, you know, or at least my parents did, um, so I did. <laughs> I I went into the business world, went into finance for, for a year. And uh, again, quickly figured out I hated that. So uh, I was back to tennis. No, uh, I mean, you talk
0: about getting to Indiana state, meeting Brian Boland, uh, you know, you're back in the tennis world now and you you guys have so much success uh, going to Virginia. Uh, You're there from 2002 to 2010, obviously you know, eight years, given what you guys built there, however many straight quarterfinal appearances, I believe that started, that streak started maybe in 04. Um, why is it that you stayed at Virginia so long as opposed to seeking out that head coaching job right away?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, a couple things. You know, I think obviously Brian and I had a great relationship and, and we worked well together, um, you know, was a big part of it. I think we were very like-minded in what our goals were, um, you know, I had a lot of, um, he, he was gracious enough to give me a lot of influence over the program. So, you know, I, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and, and, and I think I was also quite young when I started, you know, when, when I started at Indiana state and Brian was there, I mean, we were, we were, we were children leading a program. I think <laughs> I was like, I was like 22, 23 is maybe 25. And, you know, we didn't, I wouldn't say we had much of an idea of what we were doing. So you know, I, I started at Virginia pretty young. Um, you know, I, I, I got there and bought a house right away, which was taking a total shot in the dark and that worked out out great. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I really didn't start thinking about becoming a head coach or moving on until, you know, probably about my sixth or seventh year.
0: Yeah. And now I understand you probably don't want to spend much time talking about what is now your rival school in Virginia, but as I mentioned to you before the pod, I am a long-time Virginia Cavalier tennis fan. I think it was the the team website. It's like VASP.tv backslash men's tennis. That's how nerdy I am. I know the URL. <laughs> um, and the highlights available were just great. So I have a couple of takes I want to run by you, if you don't mind. Sure, Absolutely. Okay, with all due respect to Skander and Christian, who are a tremendous uh, t- uh, doubles team during their time, tell me there was ever a better college tennis doubles team than Somdev and Trey Huey? Because that—that that to me was the best tennis I've ever seen from a college doubles duo. <laughs>
1: Somdev and Trevor were great. I just uh, a couple months ago went to Trey's wedding. He's doing well. He's about to make a comeback on the tour. Somdev came. He's getting married this coming spring. Um, unfortunately not looking good for me to make that in the middle of the season <laughs> in, in India, although I'd love to. So no, those guys were fantastic together. It was, um, you know, they, they hit it off really well. They were great friends, which I think helped a lot, much like scanner and Christian. Um, so that was, you know, they were an amazing combo for us and, and did a lot of great things during our time there.
0: <laughs> All right. This one's a funny one. And I understand if you want to, you know, reserve comment, but worse, worse hairline Houston, Barrick or coach Boland. <laughs>
1: that, that's a tough one I saw I saw H at the wedding uh he's yeah he's struggling on that <laughs> tournament. so uh they're they're uh I don't know we'll go 50-50 right now
0: <laughs> oh that's a great answer I think coach Bolin went through a mullet phase and that's pro- that's like his Federer ponytail
1: well when he goes with the mullet he
0: takes the cake <laughs> Oh, fair to say. All right. Well, then on, on a serious note, in terms of your time at Virginia, you know, I mentioned guys like Dev DeVarman, Trait Huey, you've got Dom Inglot, you know, Jameer Jenkins towards the end of your time, but Sonam Singh, Michael Shabazz, so many guys who went on uh, to play pro careers. And I'm just curious, you know, when you're spending time with talent like that, how do you maintain, you know, helping them balance both college life, you know, academically, athletically with all that com- all that comes with that? plus maintaining their pro career aspirations, you know, maintaining their focus and being able to put the work in to be ready to go on tour
1: after college? Yeah, good question. It's, um, it's not easy. You know, I think, um, you know, college, college kind of it has so much to offer and so many resources to offer from a tennis standpoint, but it also has a lot of things per se that the normal student um, can do that, that, that an athlete can't do. Um, so it's, it's a tough balance, you know, because I think you get kind of sucked into that as an athlete often, you know, Virginia, let's be honest, is known to have a active social life, you know, so <laughs> I think that's, um, I think that's something that you're kind of trying to combat constantly, you know, and keep the guys on the right track and on the right path with their tennis, you know, make sure they're continuing to develop, continuing to grow, you know, continue to progress towards their degree. Um, obviously you don't want to tell them not to have a social life. But, you know, you, you want to make sure they have the correct balance. So it's um, it's a challenge. I think that challenge is greater with some guys than others. You know, it's obviously very individual. So you kind of got to get to know your guys and, and figure out what works, works for each guy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, you know, translating what you learned there, obviously September 2011, you take over as the Wake Forest head coach. That's after spending a year in Cornell where you win an Ivy League title. You, know, you have an incredible incoming recruiting class there. And then right away, it felt like you got right on the ground running at Wake Forest. Um, you know, given the success you had at Cornell immediately, given the success you've been able to have at Wake Forest, uh, given the success you even had with Coach Bullen at Virginia, what were the common traits you saw you know, between all three programs that you've been able to sustain and help you have you know, success at all
1: of each stop you've taken? yeah i mean i think the most important thing is the kind of kids and the kind of people that you have associated with the program you know it's just i think i talked a lot about that in some of the interviews i did after last year when one and you start to kind of when it sinks in you start to kind of reflect and you just think about how many different people it takes from you know the players to the support staff to the coaches to you know my wife who <laughs> you should get more credit um <laughs> to you know kind of the administration and and, and I think it's really kind of the culture you develop to be able to accomplish those things, you know. And you have to kind of hit on all cylinders to to make that happen. And you know, I I think I've seen it enough for years that maybe weren't as good as others, and you kind of quickly figure out why. And then you know, you kind of have a, have a couple things missing in the years that are successful. You really feel like everything kind of um, clicked together.
0: Yeah, definitely. And in terms of Wake Forest, you know, you return to the ACC. Did you always want to go back to a school like that? Obviously, with Wake, you have Winston-Salem right in its backyard as well. Was that always the program you were trying to end up at?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I really enjoyed my time at Cornell. It was very different to what I was used to, you know, at UVA, being in the Ivies. It's um, obviously a great academic school. You know, for me, probably a little bit of the culture shock was maybe the lack of emphasis on athletics, which I knew going in. Um, but it was, it was very different, you know, a little bit of a different um, mindset from a support standpoint and the ex- expectations. I was very lucky there. I inherited a great group of guys that were pretty motivated to win an Ivy League title. You know, Cornell had never won an Ivy League title in the history of the conference. And that's a that's a pretty storied conference there. So the guys were really motivated to do that. So I really enjoyed it. Um, so I would say that I wasn't necessarily uh, ready or looking to take the next step. But when Wake Forest opened, I was pretty excited about that opportunity. You know, having competed against Wake when I was at Virginia, it's just it's a special school. You know, it's uh, with the addition of the HP event there and, you know, the academics and the facilities in ACC, it was just, um, you know, too great an opportunity for me.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you talk about that first year you know obviously it's it's a culture shock for all of the players who are receiving a new coach it's a new system and you guys come out of the gate 14 and 15 but then you know the next year right away you guys jump up to a top 20 finish the school's best finish since 2009 um, you know, what is it that takes place in a transition like that, where from year one, you know, maybe, you know, under 500, which if you told you know someone who just started following times that Wake Forest was under 500, you know, less than 10 years ago, they'd say that's crazy. What what happens in a transition year like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was just, um, it was a tough time. You know, I think Coach Zinn, who's done such a great job at Wake, you know, for many years, you know, he was kind of maybe in a bit of a transition um, you know, and he kind of left the program. We had, you know, the one guy that we recruited was ineligible and lost, you know, a couple guys that transferred. And so, you know, I was left with some scholarship to work with in January. I decided not to really pursue any scholarship players that year. I really wanted to, um, you know, I knew I was going to be here for the long haul. So I kind of had a plan for what we were trying to do. Um, it was uh it it was an interesting year in that you know we had a losing record but in many ways it was actually a great year you know we we went 0 26 in the conference at five and six singles and 0 and 15 at three doubles and I think we were still able to pick up four or five conference wins so the guys at the top of the lineup the top four guys that were returning did a great job of kind of setting um, the culture and the tone for years to come and you know we brought in a, a solid recruiting class I I think. Um, you know, we we brought in eight guys, eight American kids. You know, which is which which is funny with the culture of college tennis to think we brought in eight guys and not one of them was foreign. You know, but I think it was kind of just the way things worked out and what we were trying to build here, and and we kind of built off that for years to come.
0: Yeah. And, you know, fast forwarding a little bit more to 2016, you know, that was really a, a big jump for you guys. Uh, you, you guys, you know, reach all or you have the senior class in uh, Romaine Bogarts, John Ho, uh, Anthony Delacour, Sam Bloom, Brandon Henry, your first recruiting class. Um, you, you know, when you go through that point. Sure, that that's when Virginia's at the top, but you have schools like Virginia, Wake Forest, uh, North Carolina, even Florida State in the ACC. You know, what did it mean to make that jump into that level and to be able to do it in a conference like the ACC, where you have all these schools pushing your team?
1: Yeah, it it was it was big to kind of get over that hurdle. You know, I think even the year before 2015, where we we added Noah Rubin you know, who was obviously kind of helped change the, um, I'd say, perception of our program in many ways, you know, we were able to get in the top 10 that year. And then year after 2016, um, you know, to be able to win the ACC championship, when you look at Virginia's team, they were pretty stacked that year, you know, so to be able to get over that hump and, um, you know, and kind of establish that we were a top five, kind of tennis program there was, was amazing, you know, and then the year after, I think you talk about the ACC, I think, I think we were one in the country going to the tournament, Virginia two, UNC three. So um, obviously an incredible conference that just, um, you know, keeps pushing to get better.
0: Yeah. Well, you you mentioned the name Noah Rubin. Uh, For people who don't know, obviously Noah has had a ton of success on the Pro Tour. He's in the top 130 right now. They may not remember at the time that Noah was not committed going into that summer after his senior year. You know, he wins junior Wimbledon. He wins Kalamazoo, gets to play in the U.S. Open. And yet, despite all of that, he ends up coming to Wake Forest for a year. you know, Coach, without giving away too many of your secrets, how do you negotiate something like that? How do you get a player of that
1: caliber to buy into your program? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you have a guy like Noah, and he can essentially choose what school he wants to go to on, on the scholarship he wants to go on. So I think for us, obviously, in the recruiting process, that's huge. You know, I mean, that's a big sell to any kid that has aspirations of playing pro tennis. You know, you can have this guy who essentially arguably the best American recruit to go to college. And I don't know how long last time American kids won a grand slam in Kalamazoo in the same year as went to college. I'm sure it's been a long time. So I think it does a lot for your program. So, you know, for us, obviously we were at that stage. I had a really good relationship with Noah's, Noah's coach, Lawrence Cleger. Um, wow. So that helped, you know, and I think for Noah, you know, he was always thinking about pro tennis. I, I think, college was you know going to be a short pit stop for him um you know he really loved his time here and he was pretty committed to saying i was going to go for a year and then go pro and after the year i think he he really considered coming back for another year and there was a point there um you know kind of mid to end of summer after he left where he wasn't quite having as much success on the tour as he thought he would and he was pretty sure he was going to come back and then you know he won charlottesville challenger gal walker to australian open uh won his first round and then it was like all right it's time to go. <laughs> Abs yeah, no, definitely. And you know, talking
0: about Noah again, and this will be my last question based on him, but he makes that NCAA finals run to this or to the singles final. Uh you know, that's one of the first national championship appearances in Wake Forest history. Uh to you, is that a sentin- a sentinel sentin- moment in the program where it's like, okay, now we've reached this stage, we can keep going higher?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that whole season was, I think just being able to recruit him, then you know you're looking at him and and, and Romo at one two. You know Romo I think was top ten in the country at that time. So you're looking at two of the top ten players in the country and and you know Skander coming in as a freshman. So I think you've kind of turned the corner there. You know, as far as the kind of kids and the kind of players that you're gonna attract, you know, so he can build off that momentum. Um, you know, change the culture of, of the program a little bit. So obviously Noah had a great run at NCA's. You know, got um, got got a little unlucky there. Was up five zero in the first set in the final rain. Moved indoors and and Ryan turned the match around and played a great second and third set. But uh, yeah, he he really had a great run at NCA's. Was playing some amazing tennis.
0: Yeah, and you know, you you mentioned how college tennis has changed. You have a recruiting class of eight Americans before. Now you can't have a recruiting class without foreign-based players. You have guys on your team, you know, Petros. You ha- just had Skander. You had Christian. You also have Borna Gojo. Um, you know, for you, how do you find? That, where do you find these talents? Because uh, you know, I follow tennis very closely, and to me, the name Borna Gojo was foreign until I heard he was committing to Wake Forest. So, what? How does that? How does that work?
1: Yeah, you know, without giving away everything. Um, (laughs) Coach, (laughs) I want your list. (laughs) Give me the the list. list. Um, I, it, it's not easy. You know, I think, I think it's changed a lot now, you know, with the, like I said, with the internet and the ITF junior rankings and HP rankings, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all the resources that are, that are out there. So a lot of coaches are going after foreign players. You know, I think for us, it's, it's mostly trying to get players that have the right aspirations that fit into our program. So it's, you know, we've, we've went after a lot of, um, top American players over the last couple of years, we felt fell a little short, unfortunately, um, you know, so you have to kind of open your, open your mind to the world. And, you know, we've done that and obviously we've been able to attract some pretty good talent.
0: Well, be honest, coach, did you get to travel to Cyprus and did you use that as a vacation to go court petros
1: uh, if, if you consider a vacation a day and a half, then yes, it was a vacation. <laughs> yeah. When, when you spend more time traveling than you do in the country, it's, it's a bit of a rough trip. I did make a trip to Cyprus. We actually made, uh, two trips over there. Um, you know, a couple trips to see him at some tournaments. And and obviously Petros, who I know has been on your podcast a couple times, uh, he's he's one of the best representatives of Wake Forest, our tennis program, and I think college tennis that there is.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, I, I'm just saying, Coach, I would be scheduling, oh, I, I found this talent in Tunisia, and I just have to go there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I don't know. you got to make a trip to Tunisia. You might want to pass on that one. <laughs> I'm just keeping it open. That was the most exotic country that came to mind. But, you know, even before we get into uh, last season, and I promise we will, I I do want to take us back to 2017. That was a year your team reached number one in the country for the first time. As you guys beat Virginia, you guys end up winning the ACC tournament championship. Um, Again, that was the first time that we had, you know, Virginia's run of, however many wins in the ACC I think It was 134 or something at the end. That was the first year there were really cracks. And I'm just curious, was that something as a coach and just as a program you guys are aware of? And is that something, you know, you guys are thinking about every day?
1: No, no, no. I, don't, I, I definitely wasn't thinking about them every day. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you think about kind of what you can do to keep getting better, improving your program, putting yourself in the right place. Obviously, um, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're one in the country, like they had been for a long time, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna do some amazing things. And, and they had a, they had a heck of a run. Um, you know, so I think it, we had a match here in Winston-Salem where we were one in the country at the time. There were two, I think we had about 1500 people at the match evening match it was an amazing match. And we were lucky enough to come out on top, um, you know, during the regular season. And then they got us back in the ACC final both great matches. So it's just, uh, I think when the level is that high, it's, you know, it's a bit of a fine line as to who comes out on top. And, you know, hopefully you're doing the right thing as a coach to prepare your guys and put them, put them in the best position to win.
0: No, oh, definitely. And, you know, you, you mentioned that huge crowd for the Virginia match is 1,500. I'm just curious as a side topic, you know, when you, I just feel like people don't understand how exciting a college tennis match can be, the doubles point, how thrilling it is. Um, what do you guys do at Wake Forest to attract a crowd of 1500? Because I, you know, and that that that's an impressive size,
1: yeah. Well, it, it helps have the number one and two teams in the country play. Right? <laughs> for sure. Um, no, look, the NCAA final this year, I think we had, I think they counted it as 2,500. We have people standing on top of the football stadium, and you know, during the doubles point probably one of the craziest points doubles points i've well it is from a (laughs) perspective you know i couldn't hear what was going on on the court it was just so loud obviously ncaa final being at home had a lot to do with that but um it's, it's an amazing difference in many ways in say pro tennis and junior tennis you know we had we hosted ncaa's and then about three weeks later we had a couple futures and you know, Petros was in the final of one of the futures the next week. I think the final was Tommy Paul and Michael Redlicky, two amazing players. And I don't know, there was probably 10 people watching max, you know, it's just a, it's a different atmosphere and a different vibe. And I think I, I, in many ways I feel, I wouldn't say sorry, but I, I feel, a little, you know, like some kids that bypass college tennis don't get the greatest experience with tennis. You know, if you're in the semis or finals of Grand Slam, okay, that's a different story. But, you know, to play in a big match in college tennis, it's it's an amazing experience.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about being able to host that NCAA final, obviously, with the training center in Orlando opening up. They're going to move a lot of the events to be based there. But how much did it mean for the Wake Forest program to get to host an NCAA tournament final?
1: Oh, it meant so much for us, and I think the community and and our fan base and the university, and obviously we're very hopeful we're going to have that opportunity again. You know, I'm sure I talked to my administration. They want to put in a bid for a couple of years. They loved it, um, and I, I think it means a lot. You know, we have such a loyal fan base now that we've built up. Um, I, don't, I don't know what it is, if it's just, you know, kind of the size of the school because it's so small, so it's so kind of special to compete at the top of college athletics. Um, you know, the location here is fantastic too, but uh, we've been very lucky. Our fan base is, is incredibly loyal and uh, it meant a lot to us to be able to host.
0: Oh, definitely. Well then, you know, I, I, I cannot let you go without getting into the 2018 season. Obviously, you guys win the first NCAA title as well as the first ITA National Team Indoor Championship in programs history. You win your second consecutive ACC regular season title. You're the second consecutive number one overall seed in the NCAA championship and your second ACC tournament in three years. Um, I, I think what people forget about, you know, maybe last season beyond the dominance because that's the headline. Is there was a there was a blip there where you guys suffered back-to-back losses and I'm just curious from your perspective as a coach when you have a team that's so successful do losses like that help keep the season in perspective?
1: Yeah, I think they did, you know. They weren't they weren't quite back-to-back losses, you know, we lost to Florida State on the road, um, you know, not quite with our full lineup and then we went and we beat UNC on the road, so it's just tough scheduling, you know. So that was a great win, they were I don't know what they were at the time, two, three, four, or whatever. Then we came home and lost to uh, Florida again, you know, a little short-handed, And I think we played a big portion of our season, actually, a little shorthanded. We had a couple guys beat up and not a full lineup and hurt our doubles and stuff. But I think in the big scheme of things, you know, and what we were trying to accomplish, um, you know, it didn't hurt us. It almost made us better, kind of ha- kept some perspective on things, you know, I think. Uh, it's a, it's an incredibly long year in college tennis. And sometimes, you know, in the heat of the moment, we all, we all care about winning the match. But I think sometimes some coaches lose perspective on it a little bit more than others, you know, to kind of uh, be able to figure out what's important for your team. So for us, actually, I, I thought playing without a full lineup for a big part of the season helped us quite a bit. You know, I thought it, it made us a little tougher. And then when we did have our full lineup, um, which really was only in ACCs and 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 MCAs with uh, you know Christian back in singles and doubles and kind of figuring out what we wanted from single standpoint it really helped us a lot.
0: Yeah, and you know you talk about the losses you keep it in perspective. You guys are thirty one and two. You're having a ton of success throughout the year, anyways. You know, what's it like as a team? You obviously experienced it a little bit at Virginia as well, but when you have that target on your back as everyone's coming for you, and not only that, but we're the ones with the pressure because we're hosting this NCAA team event, how do, how do you keep your team calm and not thinking about that?
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's not easy. You know, something, uh, some kind of some things I got a lot of advice about on the way, you know, some things I kind of, um, you know, figured out on my own. Again, maybe not <laughs> disclosing everything on you know what some of our (laughs) methods were and some of our thought process but you know there's good about it there's good and bad about it um you know when you're number one in the country or one of the best teams you know you play a lot of matches where you have nothing to gain technically you know at the same time you know having that kind of experience and confidence can help you pull out a lot of close matches as well so i think you kind of have to learn from it um you know kind of like i said the season is very long in college tennis especially You know, for the top teams that play national indoors and, you know, start pretty early, say, with the Futures or something like that. So so you got to kind of keep it in perspective as the season rolls along and just kind of, you know, go day by day and keep trying to get better every day.
0: No, sure. And let's fast forward a little bit to the NCAAs. As we mentioned, uh, you guys have a lot of success at the beginning of the tournament, you know, kind of cruising to the semifinals where you set up. You know, a 4-3 thriller against Texas A&M. Uh, you guys go up 3-1 in that match, obviously, but then, you know, they slowly start fighting back. Uh, take me through your emotions in that time, Coach, because I know you are an
1: active uh, watcher of the match. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, – yeah, that was a tough one, you know, for us, I think – um we got off to a great start in that match, as far as you know. We played a very, I'd say, for the most part, a fairly routine doubles point as routine as it can be. With you know, game at set six, no ad. So we were able to get through a, a good doubles point. We got off to amazing start in singles. You know, we we were really cruising at, at, at uh, one, two, three, and six. And when you think about kind of, you know, you only need to get three out of those four with Skander and Christian and, you know, two of our seniors out there, plus Petros and Goj, you're kind of feeling pretty good that you're going to get that. And then obviously we had a rain delay and, you know, A and M did an amazing job, kind of turning that around. Jordy at number three, especially, because you know I thought Scander was going to win that two and two or something like that, and he came back and turned his match around, with ten, which kind of changed everything. You know, changed the momentum a little bit, and then you get another rain delay, and then you know, the second rain delay is a little different than the first because after the first, you know, you're kind of sitting there in the locker room, and as much as you don't want to talk about it, you know, you can kind of see everyone's like, all right, we got this, let's get out there, let's finish it, and you're not thinking about getting back in for a second rain delay, and it's now you know a little bit of a tighter match, so um you know i i think for us you know christian seraphim sealed that match for us at number six singles six zero in the third you know what people don't know about him is he actually had hernia surgery about a month before NCAs. you know which is crazy to think that he was back in time sports hernia surgery went to germany saw a specialist got surgery and i think for him to be able to plot that match when you think about kind of his career at wake forest he came here he registered his first semester he was nobody in the world of tennis you know he had never played an ITF junior event or a future before he came to college. He was ranked like 300 in Germany, you know, kind of focused on the school. And you look at how he's kind of developed while he was here for him to get that win with his parents here to kind of send us to the finals is a pretty special moment for him, his family and, and our program.
0: No, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about handling the rain delay on the first day. Well, then, you know, the next day against Ohio State, obviously, there's another rain delay. It's just a long day of tennis. You guys end up taking the match 4-2. And, you, you know, I'm just curious, how important is it for you when you see the weather forecast? Because it was sprinkling all week long. Uh, how important does the doubles point become in terms of securing that and gaining that momentum for your team?
1: Well, it certainly helps. I think we we really did a great job of getting ourselves to the point. You know, you, we kind of talked a little bit about a couple of those losses we had. Well, we had a couple of those losses when we played nine matches in 14 days. You know, so we were we were doing a lot of, Hey, we're going to play today in 52 degrees and windy to all oh, the next day it rain to, Oh, now we're playing in Florida and it's 85 to coming back. And now it's, you know, 48 degrees, but you have to play outdoors because it started at 50 stuff like that. So I think for us, that was a great experience as to the, you know, playing the indoor, playing the outdoor, obviously, you know, first day of is round of 16, we had to play Columbia indoors, which is about the last thing I wanted ever to play Columbia <laughs> indoors. You just stand in there kind of watching the rain forecast all day, but you don't tell your guys that, you know, and you kind of have to tell them, Hey, this is just, it is what it is. And we have to play where they put us. And uh, that's how it goes. So it was, you know, let's, it was, let's be honest. It was probably the same thing for Ohio state. You know, I, I was much more hoping we would play them, outdoors at the same time you know I obviously feel like we were a good indoor team we won national indoors, so it was kind of just like hey let's just play where we have to play and not overthink it
0: yeah and you know you you talk about being prepared and having your team prepared well it's not often that you're playing NCAA finals at on your home courts um In terms of making sure the guys were comfortable, was it something where your team's staying at a hotel and you guys are doing, you know, your own separate thing? Or is it, hey, just sticking your own routine, sleeping your own bed and,
1: you know, a little bit more relaxed because you are at home? Yeah, no, we were, we were, you know, I'm actually very much on that theory that you mentioned. We didn't do it on a friend's days just because. It's graduation, you know, I thought it was a great idea to kind of keep us all together, you know, NCAs is um it's so long. So you no, know, we were we were actually in a hotel. We kind of separated ourselves a little bit from everyone. We were over by the mall, which was fifteen minutes away, but it was uh it was great for us to be together um as a team and obviously I think that turned out to be a good decision.
0: Uh, I would imagine so, yeah. And and in terms of, you know, the match itself in the finals, you know, such a tight doubles point you have. Two decisions going your way, seven five. Obviously, you guys are getting breaks at the end of the matchup. One and two doubles. Um, at that point, you guys secure the doubles point. You're three points away. You have to like some of your matchups in the singles. What do you tell a team to keep them focused and you know keep them on the mission going into that singles part, portion of the match?
1: Yeah, you just at that point you've done all your talking before the match. Yeah. You, know? you you're happy you won the doubles point. You know, we played enough matches that we lost some doubles point came back and won, won a doubles point had lost during the year. So, you know, the guys know that they have to go out and battle and just take care of their core. Um, You know, it's a little bit of an interesting matchups kind of there in singles. You know, I I think both Ty and myself kind of move around our lineup every now and then. So I'm sure he was kind of guessing what I was going to do and I was guessing a little bit what he was going to do. He actually really surprised me with what he did Um, at the same time. I think we had our guys prepared for kind of every option and, and and so then you just have to go out and play, and fortunately it worked out uh, in our favor. So you just got into something, and I know we have to let you
0: go soon, but you got into something. One of my favorite aspects of the tennis world is the the match calculus that goes on, the little maneuvering behind the scenes. And you talk about that lineup shifting. Obviously he has Tim Siebert jumping at number four that pulls Selig and Joyce down, um, you know. How much of that you know, tactician aspect of it is part of being the coach? How much of it is finding that lineup, and how hard is it to find that balance?
1: Yeah, I I think quite a lot. You know, especially for teams that the top teams, when you have so much depth, you know, you look at. I felt like we had, you know, up to up to nine guys we could have played, and you know, your guess is as good as mine. Who would have been more successful? You know, so obviously um, whatever we did at five and six singles in the finals did not work. Uh, Fortunately, you know, you only have to get to four. So I think for us, you know, we were kind of thinking uh, if we had lost the doubles point that we were probably going to see Tim in there. And if we had won it, we weren't going to see him. Um, It really honestly didn't affect too much what we were going to do. I kind of, if you notice, you know, we kind of kept our lineup the same Um, last three matches. We were more thinking we more had a bit of an indoor lineup and an outdoor lineup. And that was going to be our outdoor lineup. And we just kind of went with it and said, hey, this is our best. Let's go play. So that's that's what we did. Uh, We were like I said, I was a little surprised at what they had, but it really doesn't matter. You know, the guys knew it was a possibility. They knew who they could play. And, um, you know, I think it just comes down to who plays their best at that time.
0: Well, I, I think you talk about the adjustments you guys made, having Borna and Skander play as opposed to Skander and Christian. It helped balance out your lineup. You guys are competing at all three spots. And I, I am curious on the Ohio State front, I would make an argument that your guys' national indoor semifinal in 2017, where you know they just pulled that match out 4-3, uh, one of the best matches I've ever seen as well, despite... You know the other incentives that come with winning a national title. Was it at least a little bit sweet for you, coach, to get revenge
1: for that one? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I honestly, you don't, you don't think about that when you're playing a national final. Doesn't matter if we beat them ten times, lost them ten times. That match, um, you know, in the semifinals of national indoors was pretty irrelevant. You know, I don't think uh, you can kind of compare the compare the moments there. Um, national endorsement is nice, but it certainly pales in comparison to NCAAs. So, um, you know, it, it really didn't matter who we played or who we beat in the finals. You know, we were we were kind of pretty focused on getting that ultimate goal. Oh,
0: no, that's completely fair. And even, you know, I think the most impressive part of your run over this 2018 NCAA finals, it's not only the way you guys dominated throughout the season and, and you know, playing so well through that NCAA tournament run, but it's the fact that you have... Borna and Petros then rebounding right away, playing. I think it's six more matches in seven days or whatever, and making it all the way to the final. Having two of your own players, you know. One, did did you say anything to them in between? You know, hey, say hey, maybe guys, don't injure yourself, relax. This is the fun part. Or what is it that they did
1: to to allow themselves to have that sort of success at the end of the end year? Of the year? Yeah, that was, you know, when you look at our year, I think it's kind of a fitting accomplishment, a crazy accomplishment when you think about it. It's, it's actually six more matches in six days, you know, immediately following the next day. So, you know, it's I think you have that talk with those guys, those two Scander, you know, who was a senior uh, bar who was playing doubles. You have the talk after the match and say, look, it's it's yeah, it's it's kind of an individual tournament. So it's up to them, you know, they're going to celebrate, you know, so it's certainly not the, it's certainly not the best preparation for the next day. And for playing six more days, at the same time, you know, I think we, we focused a lot on our conditioning and toughness and stuff like that. So those guys handled it well. Um, you know, I think once you get through the first day there, which all three of them did, you know, that's the toughest day, really. You know, and once they got through that, I think it was kind of back to business as normal, you know, and from then on, they they all played t- great tennis. I mean, Skander played great. He lost to Borges second round. He was up 4-1 in the third, uh, 30-40. You know, so he had a chance to beat one of the best players in the country. And then, you know, for, for Petros to, and, and Goge to kind of make the finals there was, um, you know, an, an amazing accomplishment. Petros saved three, uh, saved two match points against Torp in the in the uh, quarters. And Goge saved three match points against Borges in the semis. You know, so it was kind of one of those things that I was meant to be. And then, you know, the finals was um, incredibly anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, had, you know we had probably again you know a thousand to fifteen hundred people there for the semis um and it was great great atmosphere in the finals there was probably about the same kind of crowd it got moved indoors and and there was literally no one cheering you know it was just two guys kind of playing tennis and neither guy really wanted to win to be honest they actually asked the ncaa if they could split the ncaa title just because obviously you don't play for a wild awesome. card and they're such good friends and and they didn't want to play the match and i i was okay with it and the ncaa said no and Obviously, it would have been easy to say, ah, oh, one of them's not playing, or but we just felt like we should, they should just play, and it, it was not a um, it was not an exciting match.
0: Well, I'll, on that note, coach, this is your chance rebut any conspiracy theory that said they set up who was going to win beforehand.
1: Oh no, absolutely not. They. You know, it was good. We, we had breakfast that morning, um, you know, the four of us with Chris, and we kind of just said, look, guys, it's still I, – I know you guys don't want to play the match, but it's still at the end of the day, one of you when you're 30, 40, 50 years old is going to be NCAA champs, so, you know, we're not going to coach you. We're going to, you know, help you warm up. They warmed up together before the match, you know, even though they had a bunch of teammates here. That's what they've been doing. Um, you know, so it was a very <laughs> – you know, there was no celebration at the end of the match. It was very <laughs> the match. Like I said, they played indoors. Both guys were a little beat up. You know, I think they had both left it all out there in the semis. Um, So it was kind of, you know, let's get to the finish line, get this over with. Um, And that was really it. Uh, I'm going to save a rapid
0: fire question I have on that as a follow up for later. But I do want to ask you quickly about the 2018-2019 team. You talk about Borna and Petros. I'm on the Wake Forest website right now, and I see they are both on the roster Coach, should we expect to see them in the 2019 lineup? And what should we expect from your Wake Forest Demon Deacons?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think it should be a fun year. You know, obviously, um, Forna and Petros are two guys who I think have a very good shot try- at making a living uh, playing tennis. I think they also both see the value of what they're doing here. And appreciate a lot of the opportunities that come with that so i would say uh there's an extremely good chance you'll see them both in the lineup and in different capacities throughout the course of the season um you know we we added a couple good freshmen we have a couple guys coming in in january so it's uh it's shaping up to be a fun year you know there's obviously a ton of great teams out there um and it's it's tough to kind of follow up the season we had last year you know if not impossible but i I know our guys are uh, looking forward to the challenge
0: well, you mentioned uh, the Charlottesville with Noah Rubin earlier. I'm just curious
1: when Petros beat Tommy Paul, were you having flashbacks? I was not. I was not actually. You know, <laughs> we talk about Petros. Uh, he's just he's a special person. You know, it's it, you. I, I was cheering for him to win that tournament because I think um, for him. Honestly, outside of maybe winning an ATP event, you know, he was going to come back. He's going to, he's going to graduate. He's got a semester before he finishes his degree, three and a half years. Um, you know, and I think he, he loves it here and he, um, you know, he, he's going to go play pro tennis, but he's not ready yet. Ah,
0: Yeah, I think that's a a great thing. And, you know, when we talked to him, he was adamant that he is returning. I believe his words is, why wouldn't I? You know, it's everything I want out of college time. So, again, you talk about that 2019. I am curious when, you know, when fans come to watch you guys play, you know, what should they be expecting? What do you want them to take away from watching your team? What experience is it? You know, we are competing to defend our title. That is our goal this year. Is it, you know, something more than that?
1: Yeah, I I don't think obviously that's going to be the ultimate goal, but I think it's just, you know, fans come out, they're going to, you know, you want them to see guys that are competing as hard as they can, that represent the university in the right way, that have passion, you know, that want to play for each other. And I think that's what we have and, um, you know, build off the momentum that we had last year with our fan base. And hopefully, you know, we've built up some really, really loyal supporters and, you know, keep them excited. And, um, you know, obviously we have a a very interesting home schedule with Arizona State and Oklahoma State and Baylor coming in, um, in addition to kickoff weekend and obviously then the ACC. So, you know, you want to give the fans great experience and, and, you know, put out a product, which I think we will when the guys are playing that's, you know, high-quality tennis.
0: No, absolutely. And I look forward to it. I got the chance to go down to uh, Wake Forest for. The NCAAs last year. And it was such a great experience. The facilities were lovely. Uh, I, I already kept you here for forty-five minutes, so I don't need to flatter you. But needless to say, I hey, am Okay, experience. I don't mind. Yeah, exactly. But I do want to do one more thing before we go. That is a rapid-fire segment we try and do with all of our guests. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask you some things about yourself, some things about the team, maybe even throwing some hot takes to keep you off guard. Uh, does that sound good to you, Coach? I, absolutely. Bring it on. Awesome, let's rock and roll. Well, then my first question to you—you know—you've traveled to quite a few places for your recruiting trips, and I'm sure other things. Favorite city in the world you've ever been to?
1: Oh, favorite city—that's um, a good one. We're gonna—we're gonna go with Toronto, Canada, because it is my hometown, and I am a huge Maple Leaf fan. I'm not even
0: kidding. I was going to ask. I heard a little accent. I didn't want to be rude, but there's a little Canada in there.
1: Yeah, there is, there is, yeah, it's still in here.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Well, how about this? Our name is Cracked Rackets. Coach, when was the last time
1: you cracked a racket? Ah, when was the last time I cracked a racket? Uh, I'm going to go probably a couple years, probably. Nothing I can remember off the top of my head, but if I had to guess, probably a heated game of ball drop or a butt cap. (laughs) Awesome. Well, then,
0: here's a hot takey one for you. Have you ever coached a better college player than Somdev DeVarman?
1: Yeah, <laughs> tough one. Um, you know, obviously, Noah, Noah Petros, Goj are are right up there. Um, you know, Samdev got 62 in the world, so we'll see. Time will tell. Those guys got some work to do.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I, I have that was some... about yeah. as neutral as I could go. Yeah, that was really well
0: done, Coach. I was going to say, just the way Samdev his senior year, the guy just didn't lose. I mean,
1: he's yeah, maybe- kind of Yeah, he was really good at never losing, so I I like
0: that. Yeah, that's that's a skill for sure. Okay, well then, getting back to it, Coach, the last time you coached a match without your sunglasses? Ooh, you'd like
1: to think I'd go with one indoors, but I think think most of the time I keep them on indoors too, so I'm really not sure. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a fair question. Uh, I mean, that, uh, I that's finished one without my sunglasses against Texas a few years
0: ago because I broke them during the match. <laughs> and it's always Nike, right?
1: It, it's it's generally been Nike.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, how about this? Favorite
1: meal off the court? Favorite meal off the court. Um, I'm pretty simple. I mean, our go tos. I guess I'll have to go with Chipotle because I mean we <laughs> we can't we can't get enough Chipotle so Oh what an answer. Uh, I I
0: firmly agree and I am not a queso guy, so anyone who says Qdoba is better, uh.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, and it's it's about what I think of in a meal. Pretty fast, pretty cheap, and pretty tasty.
0: I mean I just don't want an ice cream sundae on top of my burrito, but yeah, I agree with you. All right, moving on. Favorite non tennis athlete.
1: I I will go with uh, either Wayne Gretzky or Tiger
0: Woods. <laughs> I say I thought you were going to say Kawhi Leonard if he stays. I, it, fair enough. He's right up there nowadays. <laughs> okay, that's cool. All right, well, let's think. Another fun one. Um, ooh, I like it. Maple Leafs win the Cup or Raptors win the NBA Championship?
1: Yeah, gotta go with gotta go with the Leafs. Love the Raptors <laughs> nowadays. It's been a Leafs fan my entire life. They've never even made the finals since I've been alive. So I, I've promised a lot of my buddies that if they make the finals, we're gonna go. Do you know how to skate? I do know how to skate. Yeah, played some played some hockey back in the day in high school. So played quite a bit of hockey. So I can't say my skating would be up to par nowadays. It's been a few years, but. I still think I could uh, get around on the rink.
0: Okay, this is a fun one then. What is Coach Tony Bresky currently better at, hockey or tennis? <laughs> Probably still tennis, sadly. Probably still tennis. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's been a while since I put the skates on. Oh, I like it. Well, then how about this? College tennis Coach Tony Bresky, this is you in your playing days, shows up at Wake Forest.
1: Does he crack the lineup? Oh, it's going to be a tough one. This last year. Uh, I would say I'm likely. We had we had some pretty good guys at the bottom of the lineup. You know, when you have three or four guys top thousand ATP that aren't playing, uh, it's yeah. We had a pretty good team.
0: The counterpoint is the glare off your sunglasses would dist- would distract Seraphim while he's surfing and volleying. So you've got him there. Fair um, All right, my last question to you, Coach, is the 2019 season for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons tennis team
1: NCAA title or bust? <laughs> no, no. I, I you know I think when you accomplish what we did last year, you have to be able to enjoy that. So it'll certainly be one of our goals, but uh, you know, I think we're going to enjoy the ride as we compete um, and see what we can do. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to try to win kind of NCAAs, national indoors, ACCs, um, you know, and, and we'll see what the boys have.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: coach, we look forward to
0: watching you guys all year long, obviously. You've got so much returning talent, and with you know the amount of teams that are, it seems like are going to be able to compete for an NCAA title this year, it should be a fun season. But thank you for taking the time to come on the Cracked Interviews podcast, and I reserve the right to bring you back on for a full dissertation on your Virginia years. Okay, sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate you having me. Uh, of course, Coach. Take care, and good luck to the Demon Deacons this
1: season. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too. Bye.